Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Justin of the Food Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm Justin Bizarro. I'm your host. That's B I Z A R O. And today we are spending time with Ginger Butts of Back to the Basics 101. How are you doing today, Ginger? Doing good. Thank you. So, where, just for the audience, where are you located, Ginger? Um, where's your base of operations? We live in Cochrane, Georgia. Um, it's middle Georgia, smack dab in the middle. So, Ginger, tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got to become a food entrepreneur. Okay. Well, I am um, 55 now, and um, for for 17 years, I homeschooled my children, and at the end of that season, um, I was contacted by the nutrition director, um of our county who was doing feed my school. And she knew that, um, I ground grains into flour at home and, um, baked goods for my family and such. And she also knew that my husband grew wheat and she approached me and said that she wanted Johnny's wheat and for me to mill it into fresh flour. And they wanted to use it, um, that wheat for feed my school and they wanted to make rolls with it. So I'm a homeschool mama. I don't have a business, but I always love a challenge and have had to supplement our income. So I thought that was a great opportunity. So I got busy um, creating a recipe that would use my husband's flour. And they used half his flour and half um, regular white flour and created a recipe to make a yeast roll. And got my husband's um, wheat and milled it at home in our residential mill um, into flour and went to the school system um, armed with um, hundreds, I guess, hundreds of pounds of um, fresh milled flour. And we baked um, yeast rolls with it that week and cookies and muffins. And it was a huge success. And um, my homeschooling season was coming to an end. My children were graduating, and I've always had to do something to contribute. So I thought, um, if our school system wanted fresh milled flour, surely other school systems would too, because this was during the time when the administration had brought down um, the stricter requirements for um, lunchroom cafeterias to provide whole grains and such. So I thought it was a good opportunity to get started with that. And so I love this story and I want to pause and then we'll continue down the road, but how do you mill um, wheat? I mean, so let's, I'm sure we haven't talked about it on the podcast and it's just a curiosity. So how exactly do you mill it at home? So um, there's residential mills that fit on your counter, just like you would fit a um, KitchenAid on your counter, you know, to bake cake or whatever. So it's just a um, residential mill and um, you plug it in and you pour the grains in the hopper and you flip the switch and it does its thing and it comes out fresh milled flour. And so that's how I did it at home as a stay-at-home mama, and that's how I also did it initially um, for the school system that first time. But um, but then we evolved and we um, bought a commercial mill, which was a stone ground mill, um, which is what we use now. So what's the difference? Why? What's the difference between a? Is it actually stone that's grinding it then? I think the residential mill is called um, like impact because it has these little teeth that when the the residential mill um, has um, like impact teeth uh, teeth and then when the grain hits it the impact just grinds it into the flour versus the commercial mill which is you know literally two two stones. Well, that's pretty cool. So it's like, I mean, I have to imagine that's the way they did it back in the day, um, is is basically stone grinding. I can't, I wouldn't know of any other way to do it. Although I'm not 100% positive, I should know this being in the food business of how it's done <laughs> now on a yeah. larger scale, but. Oh, on a larger scale, it's so much more complicated. <laughs> it's really interesting because at the turn of the century of, um, the turn of the um, 
20th century, I guess, um, there was a governor in Minnesota, and his last name was Pillsbury, and he brought over the first steel rolling mills from Europe, he and his nephew. Um, and prior to that, it was, you know, each community had its own mill, but when the steel rolling mill came um, to the United States, then it separated out the different parts of the grain and such. So, but it's gotten a lot more sophisticated. Um, I couldn't even talk about it, you know, because it's so much <laughs> bigger than, than I know. Yeah, no, I totally understood. So, you 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 bring the flour into the schools, and mm-hmm. and so you know what? So does this launch into a business? Um, you talked about other schools needing it. So, I mean, what were your steps from there? I mean, you've now got this idea. So, yeah. how do you now take it to the next step? steps which you know as a little backtrack information most people have a lot of trouble actually taking the first step forward well that's not my problem (laughs) it's probably a problem because i i jump at everything um instead of having a plan i just jump and go with it and that's really how all this got started um so Um, I picked up some other school systems and, um, you know, invested in a commercial mill and we had a shed in our backyard and that's where the mill went. (laughs) And I was milling hundreds and hundreds and um, even up to thousands of pounds of flour for schools. And um, and I'm very relational. I'm all about people. And so I didn't want to just drop off the flour. I offered to train their staff. Um, and to and to teach them and educate them about um, whole grains, how to use it, the benefits of it, why you want to use it. And so um, I picked up several schools and um, had great relationships with the nutrition directors and their lunchroom staff. And we were creating really good products. But I was turning more into a miller. And I knew that's that wasn't the way I wanted to go. Um and I was getting more schools, but um, at at the end of the, um, I mean, at the beginning of the summer, school is out. And so um, I had these startup costs because I bought the commercial mill and um, I wasn't getting any, you know, checks from the schools because they were out of school for the summer. So I took my fresh milled flour to the um, local farmer's market thinking, I'd be the popular kid on the block. Nobody had fresh milled flour. Everybody would love me. And summer's market and everybody loved me, but nobody bought flour because they don't know what to do with it. <laughs> yeah, I and mean, I mean, I got to imagine that people, we buy everything pre-made and we mix in an egg and we mix in milk and we don't really think about actually how to bake stuff anymore. I mean, we do in my household, thank goodness. Um uh-huh. Deborah and my stepdaughters, they bake a lot, which I guess is good for me and bad for me. But it's uh-huh. um but it's an interesting thing. So continue um with the story, but I just think it's because I know you, where your product is going uh in the story. I think it's just a an awesome point how you identified that as a particular issue that people don't know what to do with the flour as from scratch. But anyway, go ahead. Right. Yeah, so um, so people don't know what to do with flour. So I thought, well, people pick up like a Duncan Hines or a Betty Crocker or whatever kind of brands are out there, baking mixes. I could do that too because I was always baking at home from fresh milled flour. So I just did my recipe and I love to play with food. Like I'm a mad food scientist. And um, so I I did all the dry ingredients And then I added the wet ingredients and then I divided it and weighed it and played with it and baked a whole bunch. And I came up with homemade baking mixes and um, took those to the farmer's market. And those sold very well because people would much rather just, like you said, add an egg and some milk um, to it. And voila, have a final product instead of, you know, putting together the few dry ingredients so um that was the beginning of my first product line i guess the flour really was my first product line um uh, but then i began homemade baking mixes and um yeah that's 
where I went. And I and I love this because it's put you on this whole trajectory and journey. And and Deborah and I have met you, you know, through the flavor of Georgia, and then seen you numerous times down there in the contest and and other events and the Georgia Fair and things like that. Oh. And and we've talked a lot and even talked on the phone and about different things. So I, you've created this whole business out of a need. It wasn't something like you went out and said, I'm going to do this because I want to, you discovered a need, uh, for people and you sort of, you know, went after that need. So let's talk about the name back to the basics 101. Um, let's talk about what that means and why you came up with that name. Okay. So back to the basics. Um, it's a great story. So, um, when, when I found out that, okay, this is going to become a business, I need to be a LLC, you know, um, be legal and all this stuff. So I went, um, I, I, I was trying to think of a name and a friend said, well, what about back to the basics? And it's like, that is, that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm trying to help people get back to the basics, you know? And, um, we went to church softball and there, one of the churches had basics on the back of their shirt and it stands for brothers and sisters in Christ service. And I thought, cause I'm a follower of Christ and it's like, uh, that just fits even better back to the basics and basics stands for that acronym brothers and sisters in Christ service. Um, because I really do believe that when we are saved, discipled and healthy, um, we can have an abundant life um, thriving. And um, so I went to the lawyer and I said, okay, I'm back to the basics. Can you go do your thing? And he went and did his thing and he came back and he said, somebody already has it. So you've got to come up with something else. And and I told him, I said, well, God gave me this, this name. <laughs> I don't know what you're going to do, but this is my name because I just knew that this was the um, name that the Lord wanted me to have. And he's like, well, he might want you to have it, but if you don't come up with something else, you're going to lose $500. <laughs> I said, okay, then <laughs> you put it that way. Um, so I did what anybody would do. I went out um, on social media and I said, okay, friends, help me out. And one of my friends said, well, what is it you want to do? And I said, I really want to teach people, you know, how to get back to the basics. And she suggested adding 101 to it. And it's like, ooh, that's good. So I gave it to the lawyer and nobody had it. And so that's how that came to be. And um, just so anyone in the audience knows, that's how they can find you on social media and your website, correct? It's Back to the Basics 101. And if yes, you type it in any search engine, um, it'll pop up and you'll see Ginger's website there. Um, nope. Or social media or Instagram or Facebook. So. I really right. want to dive into this, uh, Ginger, and I really want you to explain, um, I want to get into the spirituality side, but I really want to get into the side of what do you mean by getting back to the basics? What are those core values in that message that you're trying to get across uh, when you are teaching people how to get back to the basics? So, you know, okay, there's plenty of philosophies out there. For health and wellness, there's lots of fad diets, and what we don't need is one more opinion. And because I'm a follower of Christ, um, my plumb line is the Bible. And so that's what I look to for the truth. And so over the years, and I started my business in 2012, so this is my eighth year, and it's, it's taken, you know, this long for me to be able to articulate what am I about? You know, why am I doing this? I know I have a passion, but oh my gosh, all the obstacles, all the challenges, all the discouragement, all the things that come at me. And it's like, why am I doing this? I mean, I'm not doing it for the money. So it's like, why am I doing this? And, um, the, the re my mission is to help people get nutrition from the source. That's my, that's underneath my, um, that's my logo is nutrition from the source and source is a capital S meaning God's creation. Um, and the reason I'm so passionate about it is because 20 years ago, my two boys had respiratory issues. I took them to the doctor. Um, doctors gave them meds because that's what they do. And I didn't have a piece about it. 
And so I just cried out to God for wisdom on behalf of my children's health. And a really long story short, God gave me wisdom to treat them nutritionally. And that's why I had a meal, a residential meal in my home is because I went back to the basics 20 years ago when organic wasn't the word that it is now. And um, we didn't have Internet. So when I researched, I had to read books. We drove once a week to an organic farm, 35 miles that way. The boys were little. We would um, pull the crops that were in season. I'd bring them home and process it. And lo and behold, over time, God healed them of the asthma. And I got them off their meds because I gave them God-made food instead of man-made food. And because I experienced my children's healing through God's creation, that's why I'm passionate because because it, it would be unloving to not share that information with all these other people who are sickly and um, diseased and oppressed and depressed. And I believe that God has our health and healing in his creation. Um, five years ago, I failed a heart stress test. They said, you need a heart cath. And I said, okay, let me talk to the father and I'll get back with you. And after praying about it, I felt led to treat myself nutritionally and I went vegan. And, um, and I did that because I felt led and um, God healed me because um, I'm here today, right? <laughs> no, and, and I love that message. And it's one of the things that, you know, it's, you have organic, which, you know, I, I understand the term and, and we use it and I have definitely have clients and customers who, who really gravitate to that. But the thing is, is what, what you said is important in, in the spirituality is food is basically something we convert into energy as human beings. And when it has other things in it that don't convert into energy or vitamins or nutrition for our bodies, those things can cause imbalances in our body because it's not normally part of the food. Um, right. And so... When we're talking about back to the basics, it's really, you know, there's a lot of catchphrases out there. You can talk about paleo and stuff like that, trying to get back to where food originated. And, I mean, that's a little hard because we've manipulated it as mankind for thousands of years. But what the reality is, is there is a way to go back to food that actually delivers the nutritional values that we need. Um, that delivers it in a way that's healthy for our bodies that, you know, will lower health care, will lower, you know, things that we have issues with and live to be a healthier society. But we've got to choose to do that as human beings. And so yeah. one of the things, uh, you know, for the audience is what Deborah and I have always loved about your products, Ginger, is that, is that healthier, you know, no BS on the label. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, lifestyle and food that you, you, you have. And while you're selling food, you're also promoting a lifestyle that is right. healthier down to its core. And to your point, there's a lot of things we don't understand about food. You know, maybe we understood it thousands of years ago and we've got off it because we tried to feed everyone. So in the process of feeding everyone, we lost track of actually keeping people healthy from a nutritional standpoint and a health standpoint. So how do you keep people healthy? Well, we now have the means to do it and we have the means to do it through our wallets. So when we're in the stores and we're buying stuff, the only way to move the needle back to healthier food, or in your case, back to the basics as you define it, is we've got to purchase the products or go to the farms or go buy the food that is true to that. And the only way we're going to move the needle for it to be more readily available is speaking by the way we we buy our products. And so I think yeah. that's just so important. And to your point, um, on a spirituality level, when we go messing with it, it's not the way it was intended. And so, right. you know, it's grown to provide us with food. But it's also those nutri the nutritional values, the health benefits, um, and the the vitamins that come from it. So, 
I really like what you're saying, and I that's one that I've been trying to get Ginger on the podcast for a long time, just as a side note, because I love what you're doing, and I think you're actually it's something that's been done for thousands of years is people going mm-hmm. out and, and having their own crops and, and keeping them organic and, and sustainable and all of that. And while it's going back, you're a pioneer in that you're taking to the next level. I know there's a lot of farms out there that are converting to organic and things like that, but in the way you're putting it all together um, as a lifestyle, I think is pioneering still because as a society or as a world, uh, as a global um, population, we still don't understand the true benefits of changing our diets mm. to live longer, to to be healthier, to deal with ailments. You know, it's like allergies. There's the simplest thing is get honey that's local, and it works right. for most people. It doesn't work for everyone, but it's you know it's better than taking prescription drugs or having to get over the counter mm. drugs all the time. Um, those yeah. things aren't natural to our bodies. There's natural ways to deal with something that puts our body back into balance and we have natural ways to deal with it. So yes, and God's put them there for us. You know, God right. has put them there and that's not saying we don't need to make leaps and bounds as mankind. It just means that the leaps and bounds can be in things that are already available. Um, yeah in the case of food. So I want to continue on with your story. So you've, you launched back to the basics, uh, in one Oh one in what year? Say that again. I'm sorry. I said you, you launched back to the basics in what year? Oh, 2012. So how did you come up with the recipes for your product line as you launched your product in 2012? So the homemade baking mixes, honestly, were just my personal recipes. And then I would multiply it by 10 and make it (laughs) and then tweak it. And I don't, I always do everything the hard way. Even when I homeschooled, I would buy curriculums, but I would still like make up my own, you know. And so with recipes, it's the same thing. I use recipes as a guideline, as suggestions. (laughs) But um, I just love to play with food. So the recipes initially started with my own personal recipes. Um, Yeah, pretty much. But I'm always creating, always. And so how did you come up with the idea for the packaging and, and sort of putting it all together? I love what you've done. You've kept it traditional. So anyone who's listening in, you need to see how Ginger and Back to the Basics 101 does her packaging. I like it because it feels like it's Back to the Basics. But how did you come up with that? It's hilarious. I went to the high school a couple of weeks ago and talked to one of the food science classes and they were talking about packaging. So I really had to um, go back eight years and I pulled out my original packaging to show them because just because you have an idea, then then you have to make a cute way for people to want to buy it. Right. And so, oh, my gosh, that has been just such a... um, it, it, it's just evolved over the years, but I've got a, a wonderful designer out of New York that I work with now. And um, he's the, but prior to him, I used a lot of friends and, uh, <laughs> and it looked good, but um, I was adding more product lines to the business and they all needed to be cohesive. And my friends, that, that was just kind of beyond what, they were doing and I was getting bigger and I didn't want to take advantage of their um, help. And so that's why I hired somebody, you know, to do it. Um, But that has, Oh gosh, that has been quite the journey. So tell us a little bit about that. I mean, obviously there were learning lessons and everyone sort of goes through this packaging thing. So, I mean, what were some of the toughest things to learn as you went through the packaging? Well, to begin with, I was doing everything. I would put a little um, lunch bag through my print through my printer, and it would come out in a lunch bag because I thought a lunch bag is a cute way to sit on a shelf. <laughs> well, really, I wasn't shit sitting on a shelf at that time. I was just at the farmers market, um, and 
And but then I wanted I thought, well, I want to expand the farmer's market and I want to get in local stores. So I approached local stores and I would have them in a plastic bag and I printed out a label out of my own printer. And then I moved up and took the um, template to Office Max and had them printed out. You know, and and then I had a friend do it, and she she made it look really professional. I thought, um, I, it, it's oh, it's been quite the journey <laughs> to where it is right now. So uh, you you talked about so now that you're you're scaling your business, right? You've come up with your product line. You've you've come up with your packaging. I mean, what were next steps? How did you go get the word out there? and spread the word of, of what you were doing in, in your new products and your new business. Okay. So, um, it really, okay. So I, you know, I, you know, I love to talk to people. <laughs> and so whenever I would go in the store, I would inquire and say, Hey, you know, do y'all want to carry, um, products that I make? And, <laughs> I'm thinking, man, I had to have sounded so sketchy, but I mean, I got an honest face, you know, <laughs> but, um, then I found out about Georgia grown and that, you know, gave me credentials because, you know, they're a great, um, they're a great marketing partner. Um, they help get me out there. They give me credentials. And then I entered the flavor of Georgia contest. And because I was a finalist in 2016, I went from being in 10 stores to being in 50 stores. Um, and so that helped a lot. What was your question, though, Justin? <laughs> no, no, I love where you're going. I was, I was saying how you scaled the business, but I think you nailed it right there. I mean, basically, okay. <laughs> you started off at farmer's markets and, and, yeah. and pushing locally. And you got into 10 stores, but your big break was being a finalist at the Fit Flavor Georgia. And by big break, I mean that it was the next stepping stone to right. to scaling your business larger and, and having more um, customers and things like that. So as you've grown in that direction on, on that side and what we'll call the retail side, I mean, how has that experience been for you going into the grocery stores, going into the, the mom and pop stores and selling your business? I mean, what have you learned from that? It, has it been easy? Is it? I mean, how do those relationships work? I mean, how do you manage all of it, I guess, would be the best question. Well, I'm so people-oriented. So when I make a new friend at a store, like a manager at the store, um, I mean, literally they become my friend if they'll let me be their friend, you know? And so, um, so manage, I mean, I have so many new friends through this and I love how they support me, but then I support them and I go to their stores and I do demos and I meet their customers and I get a following going that way too. Um, so I don't really know how I manage it, but I, I'm, I mean, I'm just always looking to make more friends and we're on vacation right now. And I've picked up um, three stores while we, we've been on vacation just because I go in, I talk to people, you know, and I always have product with me. So, yeah. And so I want to tie this into your name um, and back to the basics because we've talked about the food, we've talked about the lifestyle, but the way you're building your business also is back to the basics. And as a society and, and as entrepreneurs, we've lost so much of the concept because of social media and the internet that the actual best way to build relationships and build your business, particularly in food and beverage, is those personal relationships and going out to mm -hmm. meet people. And yeah. we often see these companies, oh, blah, 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 company, you know, sold their business seven years in and food for $150 million. Well, but what you mm -hmm. don't see is those people were involved in other businesses before and they had built their relationships before. And so with any food and beverage business, you actually, it is so important to build the face-to-face -face relationships and actually be willing to, you know, it doesn't matter how good your food is. Um, or how good your product is if you can't build relationships with the people, the buyers at the grocery stores or, or mm -hmm. the markets, it doesn't happen. Um, you don't get that big break or you don't get that break because while they may like your products, 
if the relationship's not there, they don't continue to buy because the next person that has a product similar to yours that comes in the door that may be cheaper may sway them unless they have that relationship with you. And so I think that what you're saying is so important, Ginger, and it really ties back to the name of your company, which is building those relationships, make these people your friends. These are people that are putting food on your table by helping you sell your product through their avenues. They, you know, I don't know of any better friend, you know, if you really think about it, right. These people have your back, you have their back. They're, you know, true friends in a, in a give and take relationship. So, um, I really like that philosophy. So we've dove into sort of how you manage these. Um, let's dive into some of the failures and the things that you've learned from them. Um, and we'll call them failures just because it's the easier term, but we all know that they're really opportunities to grow. Right. And so, you know, what have some of those been and what kind of impact have they had on you and your business? Well, um, so let me, okay. So I, let me back up or maybe go forward, um, before I share those, because, um, I'm, I was producing homemade baking mixes. Um, then when I went vegan to me, that was just an opportunity to create another product because when I went to the grocery store to get, um, plant proteins, there was a lot of ingredients that I couldn't pronounce on the back of the, um, bag. And if I was trying to heal my body through food, then these protein, um, bags, you know, were working against what I was trying to do. So I created a new product. It's called Nourished in Five. Um, it's simply five organic seeds. And that way I could get my protein in my diet without any compromise. And it's just simply, um, sunflower seed, pumpkin seed, quinoa, chia, and hemp seed. So, so that created a second product line. And then um, about a year later, I created an elderberry syrup mix. Um, and so that's my third product line. And I have an organic ranch now, which is just seven organic herbs. And it's phenomenal. And um, I love the packaging on it, too. So now I've got four product lines, which I love producing fruit, food. And that's what I've been doing since the beginning. However, two years ago, I thought... Um, I want a retail store. Doesn't everybody want a retail store? (laughs) And so we built a 30 by 40 building on our property. Um, And really the building was supposed to be for me to manufacture the different product lines I had, because up until that point, I'm in a 12 by 12 building in my backyard. And um, so we built this building and I said, well, since we're building the building, we may as well um, put a retail spot because while I'm manufacturing these um, different products, I mean, people come to my house all the time anyway, buying products that I have on the shelf in my backyard because they're products I use and because I use them, they want to use them. And I said, and you know, while we're at it, I may as well get a commercial kitchen because I bake our bread every day. And if I'm going to bake bread for us, I can bake bread for the community, right? So, if you can't hear it in what I just said, (laughs) um, I grew too fast and I just exploded because I basically went from being one business, a food manufacturer, to being a food manufacturer, a retail store, and producing products out of the kitchen. So... (laughs) (laughs) So, you were a baker, a producer, and a retailer, basically. Oh my gosh, yes. And it so, have done the end. <laughs> yeah, and well, which makes it hard. If you're running a retail store, it makes it hard to go out and, and sell your products to um, mm-hmm. re- other retailers. Um, so there's a balance yeah. there. And then baking and producing your own breads and stuff or baked goods is obviously a whole other, um, other monster in and of yeah. itself, for lack of a better right. term, because... I, I know even as large as our facilities are, uh, we are very careful about what we bake and what we don't bake because uh-huh. it's just, it's one of those things that becomes hard. So, you know, let's dive into that a little bit further on, on what happened and, you know, where you are now. So you, you jumped in and, and try to grow too quickly. And so how have you adjusted and pivoted 
um, from that point to where you are now? Well, um, it was, it was, oh my gosh, I learned so many lessons from that. And unfortunately it was the hard way. And there was a lot of, um, a lot of pain (laughs) through it, but, um, how, I'm doing now. I feel so much more balanced now. So what I did is after 18 months, I shut down the retail store. Um, but we, we have an online market and, um, I still have, um, a kitchen manager who is producing the food that I eat and times more. So, so it's the food I'm already eating and I get to still create food according to what's in season and such. So I'm still able to create, which I love. So, um, so I am, um, transitioning, just, just chilling out. Um, no, chilling out is not a word for me. Not, not doing everything I was doing and, and trying to focus on quality over quantity. So that's where I'm at right now. And so the relationships I have with my retailers, I'm back in the saddle with them, um, because like you said, when I had a retail store, it was hard for me to, um, you know, support my other retailers and thankfully they were loyal and, um, kept the ship afloat, so to speak. And now I'm able to be back and doing the things that I want to do with them, but I'm also creating in the kitchen and, um, I don't know. I just feel like I'm in a much better place than I, I was when all that was going on. Well, and the lessons are valuable, and I it's hard for people to understand this, and you try to learn from other people's mistakes, but there's this weird lesson that, you know, and I've had frustrations like this myself in, in growing businesses and being an entrepreneur is, why couldn't I have learned that from someone else, or why didn't I listen to someone else? Because the reality is, is that we have to learn it for ourselves, because it becomes part mm-hmm. of the way we grow as a business, and unfortunately, there's you know, many, many years of those hardships before, you know, you learn enough lessons where, where things really start to, to move forward. But again, it goes back to, um, which I'll call another back to the basic, which is perseverance and seeing something through to the end. And when you have a calling and you have a purpose that you need to follow it all the way through to the end and not give up one, it's an example you're setting, but two, it's the right thing to do. And so you're doing that, which I think is hugely important. And one of the reasons we, you know, have such a, a good friendship and a bond with you is because we see that work ethic in you and understand that there's never downtime, but we all, you know, have to move forward and we pivot and make mistakes and, and then pivot again and, and learn from those mistakes. But one of the things that's come out that I think is really cool is your other product lines that you mentioned before. And I really want to sort of dive into it because you uh, you were talking about the elderberry um, syrup. And, mm-hmm. and so tell us how you came across that and what, you know, we, we understand the discovery of the protein seeds, which makes completely sense because you can get all the protein that you need as a vegan right. from seeds. And so it's a good <clears throat> source and it doesn't have all the chemicals and, and whatever else that a protein powder has. But right. so tell us about the elderberry and, and what brought that on and where the idea came from. And so what is honestly, an elderberry? I'm sure most of the people yeah. don't know what an elderberry is. Well, um, <clears throat> really all of my product lines were created from something that I I was doing for myself. So like the homemade baking mixes, I was already baking for my family. You know, um, the protein blend, that was something that, I created out of the need for me. And then when I realized, wow, this is the most pure um, protein blend you can get because it's just simply five um, seeds blended. Um, That's the cleanest plant protein. And so with my mission being nutrition from the source, um, elderberry syrup is something I made my family around, um, you know, in the wintertime when it was cold and people were getting sick and getting the flu and all that. And one year, um, I was making elderberry syrup because we were going to, we were going, fixing to go camping and I wanted to take it camping with us so that we could drink it and stay healthy and well. And, um, a friend of mine had the flu. So I sent her a packet of the elderberry syrup that I had made 
and um, gave her the directions for it, and she made it, and she took it all all day long, all night long, and the next day she was so much better. So elderberries have been around for thousands of years. Um, Hippocrates used elderberries for 70 medical conditions because it boosts your immune system. Um, a couple of years ago when I was building my building, the mass media uh, validated that elderberries does, in fact, help fight the flu and reduce flu symptoms. And because they said it, everyone believed it. <laughs> and that really helped build my building because of that national um, claim that they made on behalf of the people like me who already knew it. We're rolling our eyes in the back of our head because we know this, you know. But because the media said it, everybody else is going to believe it. <laughs> and so, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so with my mission being you know, to help people get nutrition from the source, you can buy elderberry syrup already made. But if it's mass produced, they don't start with the source. They start with an elderberry juice concentrate. And so what I do is I literally um, source the elderberries. But but mine is called Elderberries and More, and it's available on Amazon. Um, and the and more part of it is I put rosehip and hibiscus in it also because it's one of the best sources of vitamin C on the planet. And vitamin C is always going to boost your immune system. Um, and it helps with allergies too. And then there's cinnamon and clove, which has all kinds of medicinal properties too. So those five organic herbs are in a packet and the consumer, and, and it has a tea bag in it. And so I put the directions and the consumer boils water, puts all the herbs in the provided tea bag. And when that tea bag hits the hot water, it releases all its medicinal properties. So I had toyed with the idea of getting it co-packed, already made, because everybody wants convenience. But when um, the co-packer, because I asked him, I said, do I bring you the elderberries or do you source it for me? And he said, no, we would get an elderberry juice concentrate. And when he said that, it's like, you know, that's me backing up from the source. I'm trying to get people as close to the point of nutrition as they can. And so that's just... Um, one hill that I'm not going to back down on. And, and so I provide the actual herbs and um, the directions and um, my product makes about a quart and it helps so many people stay healthy, um, reduce the flu if they do get the flu. And um, even beyond people who've experienced the results of it, there's scientific studies that have proven that elderberries, you know, has antiviral, um, properties and such. And so even maybe, you know, the professionals out there um, have that information knowing that it, it does, you know, it, it does do what we say it does. <laughs> well, and it 100% and it's evidence of something that's able to heal, um, able to prevent, and it comes from nature, and you've basically right. mixed it together. I, I find it interesting that, um, you came to someone with your idea and then they told you to use an elderberry concentrate. Um, although I, I can honestly say it probably happens more than not where when you go to co-packers, they, um, they want to help streamline the process and make it more efficient, but they don't understand that it takes away from the integrity, um, of the product. Um, and that's kind of an interesting thing. But I, yeah. but what it's done for you is it's forced you to stay true to what you're trying to do with your product line. And right. it's actually created such an authentic and great story for you because it is true to you. And so let me ask this question just because I'm curious. Is the Elderberry line your most successful line or of the, out of the four? Yeah, I'd say so. Mm -hmm. It is. And so let's talk about this because we talked a little bit about an elderberry concentrate, which is uh, pressed, and then they basically evaporate the water out of it, um, for lack of a better term, But um, and not to get into the complications of it. So you're using fresh elderberries, um, and how do you source those? Do you actually grow them yourself, or, or is there someone there in Georgia you're, you're working with, and you don't need to give too many details, but I'm just curious about how you now decided, okay, I'm not going to use a co-backer. I'm going to do it the way that I want to, and then you went through this process of sourcing it yourself. Yeah, so it's not fresh. It's a dried herb. They're all dried herbs, um, 
all five of them. And so I found an elderberry co-op in Iowa. And so that is a group of um, elderberry farmers who are transitioning to be organic. And um, they all they take all their elderberries to this co-op and they dry them and um, I get it from them. And then the other herbs I source from an organic um, wholesale wholesaler. I think this is a really cool idea, concept. So one is, so elderberries, do they grow in Georgia at all? They do. I, I would love, I would love more than anything to have a local source. However, I have a lot of volume, a lot of volume for the elderberries. So I don't know that just a local, like if somebody grew it locally, they couldn't just grow it and sell it to me, but they'd have to do the next process of, of getting it dried too, you know? Uh, I think this is awesome. So, I mean, there's, see, this is where there's an opportunity out there. You have something, you're shipping it all the way from Iowa. There's got to be someone out there that wants this opportunity to work with you to provide you with Georgia-grown elderberries, mm-hmm. considering Georgia-grown is so important. But it's not, obviously, it's not there yet. But yeah. I I just, um I love this. I love that, you know, and this is, and I want to just recap your story. And I think it's important for every entrepreneur, and I know it's true in my own case, is where I usually start off in my business or a business or an entrepreneurial venture is never where I actually end up, whether it's the product or whether it's because I pivoted or whether it's I still have that original product, like in your case, but I kept pivoting until I found something that became popular and that became the most successful product or line. And, um, it's very true and you got to have an open mind to it and you can't get stuck just to one product line. You have to be open-minded and you have to be willing to see opportunity when it's there. And you do a great job of that. And, and I think over the last eight years of your business, you've, you've found those opportunities and elderberry is where you are now from all the steps you've took taken and you've built a brand to also be behind that elderberry product. And so you know, one of the things that happens is you've now built a reputation, but you've also now discovered a product line that's truly successful comparatively to the other ones. Not like they're not successful, but in comparison, it's the most successful. And I think that's important as entrepreneurs that we have that open mind. And I also love the fact that there's a lot of one naysayers about things. And two, there's a lot of roadblocks that you run into, whether it's Copac or co-packers or or packaging or vendors or retailers or whatever it is or bumps in the road that you talk about with building a kitchen and having your own retailer but it's the willingness to keep going um to see it all the way through that that gets people to where they are because if you had never if you had given up earlier on your product lines you would have never gotten to the elderberry and i think that that's important and, you know, we don't necessarily know the path we're on. And I can tell you, Deborah and I talk about this all the time. She's like, well, where do you see this going? You know, because I'll start something and I'm like, I don't know where it's going. I just know I have to start here. I just know that I have this idea. I have this feeling and I feel like I have to do this and God's telling me to do this and I need to move forward. I don't know where it's going to end up. You know, and this podcast is one of them. I had no idea what I was doing, but I had this feeling. I'm like, I just need to do this. And, you know, it's it's turned in this thing where, one, I love helping, but two, I'm learning a lot. And then three, I have all these people reaching out to me to do things like the Food and Beverage Entrepreneur Summit in June in Milledgeville. And so it's creating this environment for people to get together and share things and and learn. And if that's the purpose of it, and where we are now, that's that isn't what I intended when I started. I didn't really. I was just trying to do a podcast and a give back, but it's turned out to be so much more. And so I think that that's important as an entrepreneur that you have the open mindedness to know that just because this is where you, how you got here, doesn't mean this is where what's going to get you to where you're going next. Um, and so that's just a side note. So. What are the things, can I, Ginger? Can I interject? Just yeah, for a absolutely. 
I am so glad that you said that (laughs) because so many times I just do things and I don't know how it's going to turn out. And see, I get intimidated because I think all these people have a plan. You know, they know from the beginning, they know to the end, they know each step that it's going to take in between. And, and I don't say nothing because I'm just doing it because I feel compelled or whatever. So I am so encouraged that you said that um, because that's so me. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I just keep doing it and see how it comes out in the wash, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and uh, this is the other thing I want to say just based on what you said is that trial and error throughout the life of your business as an entrepreneur, particularly in food, is extremely important when we get stuck on one product or one product line and try to only do that well it may grow a business and we may quote unquote be successful but what it does is it it limits our ability to be creative and it limits Mm. our ability and practice as human beings to adjust to things and so you've got to challenge yourself you've got to challenge your employees you've got to challenge the people that are in the business with you and your family members, if your your family members are involved, because it needs to continue to be interesting because you want them to continue to be creative and new products is a way to be creative. But what the other side of it is that you don't realize that happens when you encourage creativity is that creativity becomes the process by which they also solve problems in the operations of your business. And, I didn't, it took me a long time to realize that, that even if we were creating something and it didn't go anywhere, it was important to do the investment in it because creating that creativity within our teams helped them take that creativity back to their kitchen or back to our kitchens and to the people that were on the floor and, and create that creativity. And, you know, we suffer from that sometimes. You got to keep the creative things going and you've got to continue to challenge yourself and when we get too complacent it's not in my opinion one what god intended it and and it's not we're we're brought to this earth to continue to do better and improve things and leave the world a better place than than we found it and help people along the way and so doing that means that we need to challenge them and help them grow as well. Um, because as an entrepreneur, I feel that it is our responsibility to do that, to help the people, to help them better their lives, their families' lives, and enjoy their life in general. Um, and I'm not saying it's all butterflies and rainbows. Believe me, there's some hard knocks <laughs> along the way. But it's, right. but it's one of those things where why I love what you're doing so much is because I feel that back to the basics ties all of those elements of spirituality, health, um, human interaction, um, communication, the way you're handling yourself and whether people know it or not. Um, and it takes a long time. Like the path you're, you're, you're choosing is a harder road sometimes to, to have face-to-face mm-hmm. relationships, to, to stick to the product line that's true to you, to not adjust to elderberry concentrate because it's not true to you. But long-term, that persistence and staying true to yourself while also having the creativity within staying true to yourself to develop new brands is important to grow your business in the long run. And in food, it's slow at the beginning. You don't know what's going on and people got to taste it in order to like it. And there's a million different competitors out there, but everyone has to eat and drink. So, you know, it's worth, it's worth the journey if you're willing to take it. So thank you for sharing that ginger. Oh, thank you. Um, so let's talk about the things you really love about your business and the things that you really hate doing about your business and, and hate's a strong word, but it's, um, but let's talk about the things that you love first, things you enjoy the most. I love creating. I love relationships with people. Um, and I love teaching. But when I say teaching, like, I'm not an expert. To me, teaching is just sharing what I've learned, you know. So the 101 aspect of the business is me offering classes. We'll have a class on Monday. Um, 
And, and really all it's doing is me sharing what I've learned and then relating it to the Bible. Because, because if, if it's just um, something I believe, then it's just something I believe. But if it's something I've learned and I can say, hey, look in the Bible right here, you know, how this lines up with it, then that to me, you know, makes it solid. Um, so I love to create, I love relationships with people, um, and I love teaching, sharing my journey. And so how about the things you dislike? I very much dislike the admin stuff, the technology (laughs) stuff. I'm so bad at that. (laughs) Oh my word. I just want to (laughs) create, I just want to be in my own little world and create, but unfortunately, um, admin stuff is important, you know, getting the labels right. Um, cost of goods, even though, you know, um, even though it seems like I'm all over the place when it comes to cost of goods, I know to the penny what everything costs me, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, so I don't necessarily love it. I don't strongly dislike it, um, but it's not my favorite thing. But, you know, those kind of things. I mean, I have to do it all. I don't have a person that that I have found yet or that God has sent me yet that can help me with admin stuff. So until then, those I have to do those things. Yeah, it's one of those things where just as you become good at it and an expert at it, that person will come into your life. That way you can I'm hold ready. them accountable. That's a, I yeah. always find that. I'm like, why can't I have just have <laughs> someone that can do this for me or whatever? And then I so I learn the skill. And as soon as I learn the skill, the person pops up into my life. And then I realize that I needed to learn the skill in the first place in order to hold someone accountable to it. So yeah. it's one of those interesting things. And if I don't learn it myself, I can't help them grow as a person in either that position or in that skill or as a business person or as an employee or, or as a person, I guess, in general. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. So as we start to wrap things up, Ginger, is there anything that you feel compelled to tell the audience that you feel from your experience would truly help them? Mm. Oh gosh, nothing's, nothing's like, well, Okay, so I've had a lot of heartache um, in shutting the um, store down. And so right now, the thing I would say is, um, are you, Justin, are you familiar with the Enneagram? I am not. Okay, so it's a personality profile, one to nine. You should really check it out and see where you land on that. And um, I know that I'm... Um, on the Enneagram, I'm a three and a four. And so that means like I'm a performer, but I also want to be understood. And so um, that's fine. And those are my strengths. Um, but there's a one, a two, a five, six, seven, eight, nine. And so the one thing I would say is um, to build a team, a diversified team, so that um, you have the strengths of like everything on that profile. So you don't want to have a bunch of threes and fours. You know, you need some eights in your lives. Those are the ones who are um, confrontational and <laughs> aggressive. But those those kind of personalities are necessary in certain things. So um, so I don't have I, just after what I've gone through in the last year, I would say um, build a team um, with diversified strengths. Because with diversified strengths come diversified weaknesses, you know? Yeah. No, and I love this. And I encourage, I just looked it up on the computer as we were talking about it. And it's sort of, if I'm not mistaken, the nine categories are a reformer, a helper, a motivator, a romantic, a thinker, a skeptic, an enthusiast, a leader, and a peacemaker. So it's pretty cool i haven't i have to take one of these tests i'm actually going to do it as soon as we get off but yeah, let me know what they are i'd love to know <laughs> i will i will i appreciate it and ginger thank you so much for taking your time and coming on the podcast and taking time out of your vacation to join us and i really look forward to seeing you um at the summit in june and and i don't know did you if you ventured stuff into flavor of the georgia this year um uh, maybe we'll see you there 
Yeah, I missed it. it. You had to have it in by 5 p.m. And at 7 that night, it's like, oh, darn. <laughs> <laughs> so I missed it. But listen, thank you so very much. I mean, really, for everything you do, but um, for, for providing opportunities, for helping um, get me and other entrepreneurs out there. Um, I'm so looking forward to the summit. And when you and Deborah are in my area, I would love to have y'all for dinners, too. Yeah, absolutely. And I haven't forgot. And um, I'm think we'll be back in Milledgeville the end of February. However, um, we'll be back middle of March, which will probably be a better week. So I will shoot you those dates so you have them. Yeah, that sounds good. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Ginger. And thank you, everyone in the audience. And and have a great week. Thank you.